Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Have you ever been in a situation where if one thing could just change, it would change your whole outlook? Well, Hannah had one of these moments last night. We came to Mission Hill to reset up some of the classrooms because we'd gotten some of the carpets cleaned, and this happened. So your kids are eating dirty candy this morning. I'm just kidding. We, we threw away all the jelly beans, uh, but co- thankfully Cole and I were here, and so we, we uh, helped Hannah clean all that up. But in that moment, you're going, man, if one thing had changed, if the box had been just a little further away from the grate that comes up, if, if the box had not been on the counter, we would have not spilled any eggs last night. But it happened. And this morning, I'm going to start with the story of a dead man, which is not usually what you hear on Easter, like Jesus is risen, he's alive. Well, we're going to talk about somebody else this morning. So this story starts off like any medical drama, whether you're a Grey's Anatomy fan or ER or one of the Chicago things, they have like a whole universe of their emergency response system. But Martha and Mary's brother is very sick, and they send word off to Jesus. And they, there's something really, really odd. They like want Jesus to come, but... Jesus, like, waits and lets him die. Now, that's not what we hear about Jesus a lot. We're like, man, Jesus is a healer. He takes care of people. He, he, he heals people. He comes to their rescue. Well, then why is Jesus letting Lazarus die? Isn't that a little bit our situation with God sometimes? We, like, we expect him to, like, take care of something for us. And he answers in a completely different way than we wanted him to. In John eleven seventeen, we'll pick up. And Jesus had been um, on basically the other side of Jerusalem. He's about 15 to 20 miles away. So in verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been dead in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And I think John's telling us something really important in this scripture. Jesus was within reach of Lazarus. He's within reach of Lazarus, and he lets him die. Jesus was about 15 to 20 miles. So basically, if you were to take one trip down the Shunga Trail and back, that's how far Jesus was from Lazarus. He was basically a day away. How many of you if your friend was dying, would walk down the Shunga Trail and back, and if that was going to heal them, you would do that, right? I would would assume the vast majority of us would make the sacrifice to walk there and back again, a little hobbit joke for you, um, to see our friends be healed. But Jesus doesn't do this. If Jesus intentionally allows Lazarus to die when he's within reach, He must be saying something to us. Could he be saying that Jesus comes to save us from more 
than just his return. There must be something else going on here. So in verse 21, Martha um, is talking to Jesus. It says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I think this is important because we need to pause here and go, wait, Martha has incredible faith. She's like, if Jesus is here, he could and he would heal my brother. And this is interesting because Jesus has this really big reputation as a healer. People knew that if Jesus was around, he would take care of the sick. But he doesn't necessarily have this as big of a reputation as a resurrector. Though he had done this before because he raises Jairus' daughter and a widow's only son, he raises both of them back to life, but they're it's almost immediately after they die. So they're kind of like freshly dead. So the word almost doesn't get out in, in time. It's like, oh, that guy was dead. Well, he's alive right now. He was only dead for like 15 minutes. It's like, so there, there, there seems to be something different here. And Jesus does this. And it's, it's interesting because in the book of John, uh, how many of you have noticed that John refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved? It's kind of like a, a big deal. He's like, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. Which is weird, because it's like the 12, the other 11 are just kind of like, whatever. You know, it's like, it's like he put a higher standing on himself in, the, in, in, in his gospel. But it's interesting, the word that they use to describe John the word loved is also used for only three other people in the entire gospel. It's used for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So these people are incredibly close to Jesus. These people are some of Jesus' closest friends. And when John uses the term that he uses, he uses the word love specifically to describe these four people. And it's interesting that if... if Jesus is so close to these people. Why doesn't he heal Lazarus? Why doesn't he come quicker? In verse 22, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last days. Now, Martha's referring to a very common Jewish uh, theology of the resurrection, that at the end of time, all the righteous people would be resurrected. And that was a pretty common belief. But it, it's interesting, Jesus doesn't come to save us only from this world so that we can go to heaven. I think so much of the church in America's pitch to everybody, it's like, hey, come to Jesus and you get to go to heaven. And we affirm what Martha says in this statement, but we miss what Jesus is telling us. In verse 25, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Now, Jesus isn't saying that resurrection is a reward of following him. It's qualities of following him. Resurrection and the life are what it means to follow Jesus. 
we choose, when we choose to follow Jesus, we, we choose as Galatians 2.20 says. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The resurrection, ironically, that we find in, our, in Jesus is that we die to ourselves. We die to selfishness, greed, lust, anger, jealousy, and violence. The resurrection of Christ shows us that we can choose a different path. Jesus shows us what real life looks like. Then Mary, Martha's sister, comes out to meet Jesus, and those who are mourning with her follow her out to Jesus. And Mary echoes the statement of Martha when she says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. How many of you notice that Jesus doesn't seem to get angry in the Bible all that frequently? It's like not a description of him. So when he does, we must, it must be something important. It must be something that we need to look at. Why was he angry and why was he troubled? Then we see the, the, the super famous short verse, then Jesus wept. But what is Jesus weeping for? He knows that Lazarus will be raised from the dead soon. It is possible that, is it possible that Jesus is both angered and saddened that these people's lives are so shaped by the context of sin and death that it has such a hold on their lives? Jesus' whole purpose to come to earth was to liberate these very people from the hold of death. And that was the source of his deep anguish. Then he goes to Lazarus' tomb, and then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in graves clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. This is an interesting portion of Scripture. It's like, Lazarus, come out. And in the text, you even have an exclamation mark. It's like he's saying it passionately. Lazarus, come out. He is literally talking to a dead man, and the dead man responds. And sometimes we read over Scriptures, and we're like, oh, we know this story. That's okay. That's okay. We get it. But he literally talks to a dead man, and the dead man stands up and walks out and meets him. So what was the point of the, this resurrection? We see from the, con the context of the story that Lazarus was a, a righteous man. And so what was the point of raising this righteous man to life, who we knew, based on the common Jewish teaching, that would be raised to life again at the end of time? Jesus must be telling us something different about the resurrection. He must be telling us that living a resurrected life 
is more than just escaping to heaven. Lazarus would have achieved that very thing in his own death, but that wasn't the point of the story. So, I want to turn and look at the story of Jesus' resurrection for some answers. When we look at the story of Jesus' resurrection, we're able to find some answers. Jesus makes the religious teachers of the time upset uh, by claiming to be the Messiah and by telling them that they've got it all wrong. He also is challenging to their political hold on the people of Israel. In John chapter 12, which is one chapter past the story of the resurrection of Lazarus, it even tells us that the leading religious teachers and leaders wanted to kill Lazarus. The guy who had just overcome death once, they're about to kill him again because he is evidence of Jesus' messianic arrival. That the idea that the Messiah had actually come and they missed it. And they were mad. So, they capture Jesus. They send him before Pilate, who is the Roman governor. Pilate doesn't find him guilty of anything. However, the people uh, choose to release Barabbas. And some Bibles talk about Barabbas as if he were just like a thief. Um, but he's actually a revolutionary, or how Rome would see it, a terrorist. And he's, the people of Israel choose him because he's a revolutionary instead of Jesus. The Jewish people were literally trading the Messiah for their desired image of the Messiah, someone who would overthrow Rome. Everyone kept misunderstanding Jesus. And it's interesting, when we look, everyone keeps asking him this one question. When are you going to set up your earthly kingdom? When was your kingdom going to come? When is your kingdom going to come? And the subtext of that is that when is your kingdom going to come and save us from Rome? Everyone kept misunderstanding Jesus. But Jesus doesn't simply want to save these people from Rome. He wants to save them from themselves. And when Jesus didn't save them how they wanted to be saved, they shouted for the terrorist Barabbas. They were literally trading the life found in Jesus for death. So they mocked Jesus and they put a, the Roman soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head and a robe on his back. Even these things to mock the claim that he is the king. He's, he's returned and brought before Pilate. Pilate seems to realize that Jesus isn't guilty of a thing. But the scary thing is that the pressure from the crowd and for his own self-preservation, he chooses to give in and sentence Jesus to die on a cross. They take him 
to Golgotha. And they crucify him there. And above his cross, they put a sign that says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And again, it's to mock the man who is actually the king. And it's so ironic that these things are played out, that they're mocking a man for being king of the Jews, and they literally call him the exact thing he is. You ever try to poke fun at somebody and like say something true, and then you're like, oh, that, that doesn't work. You're like... I know nobody does this, but like if somebody ever said, you know, a your mom joke, and I've heard a few people be like, well, your mom goes to college. Well, it's like, well, that's true. She did, and she got a degree. And this is what they're doing to Jesus, is they're like, they're trying to mock him and insult him with the truth. And instead, in history, these people are remembered as the people who literally called him the thing he was supposed to be, but did not get it. And then we hear Jesus' final words. It is finished. And all the way through the scripture, this story that we've been telling for the last couple of weeks from creation to David and from David to Jesus and from Jesus to the resurrection. Everything leading up to is literally pointing to this moment. Take, for instance, the Bible notes that Jesus isn't, uh, no, no bone in his body is broken. And you're like, what does that matter? He was just killed. What, do we, what does it matter that no bone was broken? Well, it's literally referring back to the Passover the Passover lamb. The requirement in the law of Moses was that the Passover lamb didn't have a single bone in its body broken. Just like Jesus who was taking the place of that lamb. And his crucifixion coincidentally coincides with the Passover. It's like the whole Bible. It's just this grand conspiracy of, of this beautiful story that goes from Genesis all the way to Jesus. And it's saying, look, you're missing it. He's right there. You want political power to free you from Rome, but we don't want to just free you from Rome because somebody else will come along. We see that in the story that's led throughout the Bible that the Jewish people are constantly in captivity, whether it's in Egypt or it's the Babylonians or the Assyrians, and then Rome. And they keep thinking that political power, a revolution like Barabbas would have had, would free them. But it won't. Because Jesus doesn't want to change the world so that we can just screw it up again. It's like Jesus is saying to us, hey, if you would just change the human heart, if you would just fix what's inside of you, we could do away with what's wrong in the world. But if I take away everything that's wrong in the world and no one changes their heart, we'll just create it again. We'll just recreate this moment. And so... Jesus is buried in the tomb of a man named Joseph. 
And this seems to be the point in the movie where the music gets sad. And all the disciples are just in slow-mo with depressed looks on their faces. It's the moment where everything goes wrong in a rom-com. It's when Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli think they're going to die in Helm's Deep. It's when Obi-Wan Kenobi is killed by Darth Vader. And sometimes when we're in these moments, we forget that Gandalf is right around the corner with an army of horsemen. We forget that Tom Hanks walks into the park and Meg Ryan says, I wanted it to be you. We forget that Han Solo is going to come to the rescue and knock Darth Vader off course so that Luke Skywalker can blow up the Death Star. We forget that Jesus doesn't stay dead. I had to get the, the You've Got Mail reference in there somewhere. It's not an Easter service without a You Got Mail reference. So Mary Magdalene finds the tomb empty. So she runs and tells the disciples. They run to the tomb and see that Mary, what Mary had said was true. Jesus is not there. Then they go home. Mary is standing at the tomb crying when Jesus appears to her and she doesn't quite recognize him and asks this, Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. I think it's just a funny note. She, just, she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabunai, which is the Hebrew word for teacher. He called Mary. And she knew who was calling her name because the man who called her name had saved her life. We see earlier in Scripture that Mary Magdalene is delivered and that she's healed by Jesus. And so when a man says, Mary, she knows the voice because it's the voice of the man who saved her. It's the voice of the man who changed her life. So in verse 17, we continue. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Jesus then appears to the disciples, and then he ascends to the Father. Jesus basically resurrects and ditches. Which, again, doesn't seem to line up with what they thought was going to happen. So what's the point of the resurrection then? Jesus, 
His resurrection provided a sacrifice in place of the system that the Jewish people had for the forgiveness of sins. But his exit from the story tells us that resurrection of our lives has to be something more. If Jesus resurrected Lazarus, who again was a righteous man and would have been resurrected in the end, then we know that resurrection isn't merely to put off death. Resurrection is an aspect of our lives when we choose to follow Jesus. Just as we saw earlier in Galatians, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what does a resurrected life look like? When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, how do we actually live that out? When Jesus invites us into his story, it seems like he doesn't free us from the pain of this world or the challenge of this world. But in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, he does seem to offer us a substitute. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. I always wrestled with this, this, this verse because it says my yoke is easy. Well, I've definitely been in times in my life, and probably any of you who have been a, a part of this journey of faith ha, can agree with me, that sometimes you know you're doing the right thing, and it really isn't easy. Anybody else, ex, anybody else experience that? Yeah? So when this, this verse challenged me, I did what any of us should do when we, when we run into something like this. I educated myself. The word that we've translated to easy should really be read as a combination of the words wholesome, serviceable, and kindly. I found this quote in a, in a commentary I was reading, and it, it, it said this. Christ's yoke is like feathers to a bird. It doesn't load you down. It helps you to motion. So Jesus gives us a life of purpose. He gives us a life that isn't always easy, but that is good. When we live a resurrected life, it infects the world around us. Don't you wish the flu were like a positive influence on your life? Then you wouldn't be so upset when contagious people are around you. You'd be like, hey, you got the flu? Give me some of that. That's what a resurrected life should look like. We should be contagious. We should be generous and gracious and loving and kind and patient. A resurrected life should produce external action. Because if Jesus 
doesn't resurrect our lives just to put off death, what does he do it for? He does it so that we can be the message of Jesus. We can be the living embodiment of who he is. James says it like this, faith without deeds is dead. If our lives have been transformed by Jesus, we will be compelled to action. I think of the families in our church who have been compelled to do foster care and adoption because God cares about the orphan and the widow and he commands us to care for the least of these. I think of all the people who volunteer every week in kids' ministry and in the kitchen and at the door because they want to serve the people of the church, of the people on the worship band who come here early and practice in order to provide an excellent worship experience. Of the people who donate their time and money to the Topeka Rescue Mission and other community organizations because their faith compels them to action. Our faith ought to compel us to action. Now, if we go back to the story of Lazarus, Jesus invites us into the story by asking Martha and all of us this question. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? He's asking, do you believe this, Josh? Do you believe this, Portia? Do you believe this, Laura? Do you believe this? If you feel like you don't live up to the people in the Bible, just remember, the Bible is the story of kings and murderers and prostitutes and thieves and fishermen and tax collectors and terrorists. And those are the good guys. When Jesus says, will never, ever die. We know that people have died since then. There's been a few humans that have ended their lives before or by the time we get to now. They, they died for whatever reason. But Jesus isn't talking about this physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. Jesus is saying to us, come to me and I will show you what life really is and not even death can change it. Martha then replies, as so many of us have since, yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And she's even better than us because she, she got to do it before he resurrected. So she guessed it early. But if you're here this morning and you find yourself wanting to respond to that question of Jesus, I want you to invite you that when the band starts to play this last song, we'll have a couple of people at the back that you can pray with and they will walk you through the same confession of faith that Martha had. And if you know Jesus but realize that you aren't living a resurrected life, 
that the resurrection hasn't changed who you are, I ask you to pray and ask God where he's leading you to live that resurrected life. Where is he compelling you to action? Where is he compelling you to show his love in this world? Because remember, as James said, faith without deeds is dead. And I encourage you to pray and ask God to give you guidance. Jesus is alive, and his resurrection matters every day of this year. Not just on Easter Sunday. Be compelled to action because, what, because of what Jesus has done for you. Be contagious. Because the point of this story and the point of Jesus' resurrection wasn't that we get out of a jail-free card. It was that we change the world. It's this idea that we talked about in the kingdom series, that the kingdom that Jesus sets up is here now and it is still coming. That we live as Christ does. That we show people there is a better way to live. There's a more loving and caring and gentle and kind way to live. That the world doesn't have to be trapped by the context of sin and death. But that the man who was also God named Jesus came back from the dead to show us that death has no hold on a life that Jesus has transformed. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you that you sacrificed yourself for us. But that your resurrection means more. That the cross only counts if you come back. God, I pray that you would help us live a resurrected life. That our lives wouldn't be confined But as your scriptures say that you would, you came so that we would live life to the full. To the fullest possible extent. God, that we know that your yoke is easy. Your yoke is wholesome. It's good. We can trade our burdens for your help. God, I pray for anybody in this room who has walked in here without having known you or maybe knew of you but hasn't, hasn't met you. That these stories are, are just stories but not realities of our lives. God, I pray that you would just Open our heart.
amazing truth and life that you give. God, thank you so much for all you do. In your name we pray. Amen.